everybody. It's a great honor for me to be with you today. And today we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians 15. And I don't know how many lessons we're going to do, but I've thought that I'm not going to do anything else unless I finish 1 Corinthians 15. And um, we, I, I think it's got 50 yards, so 58 verses. So we're going to be busy for a long time in 1 Corinthians 15. And I was just thinking to focus on this and to continue to put a focus on this. It will just help all of us to have a great understanding. Now, um, this year, the focus of our programs is going to be much more uh, line upon line teaching orientated, helping people to understand. And those of you that have walked in this message for a long time, I know that you will enjoy this and be blessed by this. And uh, I also want to ask you, as you meet people in our online church, web church, and people have questions and those kind of things, feel free and share with them what you've already understood. And let us help one another as we uh, walk together in the Lord. Now, uh, as an introduction, 1 Corinthians 15, I believe, is the best account we have on what Paul actually believed the gospel was, uh, where it's all summarized into one chapter. And we've got wonderful passages in Romans, uh, Romans 3, 4, 5. We can go to Romans 8. All of that talks about the gospel, but it is really uh, written, I almost want to say it, in a very deep explanation. But here Paul comes and he summarizes what the gospel actually is. So 1 Corinthians 15 does address uh, issues in the church, definitely. And I do believe the great issue that is being addressed here is a doctrine, uh, what I, and this is just my opinion, the, the doctrine of the Sadducees, which did not, and these people did not believe in a resurrection. Many of us would read 1 Corinthians 15. Theologians would read 1 Corinthians 15, and they would say, that is Paul's teaching on the resurrection. But that is actually not the truth. Uh, well, Paul does teach on the resurrection, but this is actually Paul's teaching on what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So uh, I believe that we, as scholars of the Scripture, we have to come to a place where we say, I don't want to just read a verse here and there, but I want to understand what this book is saying. And we also want to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. The other day I was listening a teaching on YouTube, or actually a debate, where a person, two people were talking about the resurrection. And the debate was, was Jesus really bodily raised? And both of these people are Christians. And the one said Jesus was physically raised. And Paul saw a body. And when he met with Jesus in his writings, he, he, he had to think it was a physical body because that is what he wrote. And that's how he uh, communicated with the people. Then the other guy said, well, that was what Paul just thought. Now, <laughs> One would say, oh my goodness, how can you say that was just what Paul thought? And then he says, well, he thinks that Paul's conclusion of what he saw was wrong. At least the guy who is against 
the traditional view of the resurrection know what Paul thought. He knows. If you read the Bible, you know what Paul was thinking. And I think that's very important for us to be at a place where we know what Paul thought. You might not agree with what he thought about. Now, I, I agree with what Paul, Paul thought. And, um, I mean, that's where Christians and non-Christians differ. But we need to be at a place where we can say, well, this is what Paul thought. Maybe I don't believe in a physical resurrection you know, maybe I, I be, some might believe it was just his spirit that was raised or whatever. But Paul at least thought this or that. We need to know what Paul thought. So this is what this is going to be all about. Now, we're going to start off by reading verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand. So he's saying here, I'm declaring the gospel which I preached unto you. Now, what he's saying here is, I want to explain to you what I preached to you long ago. And you can already hear, there's an underlying uh, message of, and it has not changed. It is still the very same thing. Uh, It is not a message wherein it's about your works. It's not a message where it's about your effort to try and get eternal life. It's going to not be a message wherein people must try and follow Jewish customs to be blessed. He's not sticking to a message where it's about your money and what you give to get God to bless you. No, Paul is saying, I want to now declare unto you the very good news which I've preached to you. Now, I want to go and look at the word gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Now, I like to use two uh, Greek lexicons. One is Thayer, word definitions, and the other one is Strong's. Now, some of you might hear we say Thayer or Strong's, but I want to explain to you just what this is and who this is. Now, in the notes you will see, um, I've got everything typed out there. Uh, Thayer was a guy, Joseph Henry Thayer, that was born in 1828 in Boston. And he graduated from Harvard in 1850. Uh, then he went and studied at the Andover Theological Seminary in 1857, went to the Civil War, came back, and then became a professor at the very theological seminary that he was at. And over 30 years, he, there were about 5,000 entries of grammatical, uh, exegetical work um, submitted and this is one of it is recognized one of the greatest achievements in biblical scholarship in the um, 20th century and he wrote this lexicon called the Thayer lexicon which is a Greek English lexicon explaining to us how the language was used not just in the Bible but also secularly so they would go and look at the secular use of words And then those words was also then obviously the language that was spoken in that time. And from there, we've got very good understanding on what the words mean. Some of the time I see Thayer come and he brings in doctrine, you know, um, where he tries to preach a certain doctrine. But that is what every person would do based on your own belief. But you will find a secular use, then you'll find a biblical use of the word in his lexicon, which is... Awesome. And that is a great 
contribution made by America by an American uh, bringing forth you know a dictionary now in the very same time period uh, we find Strong's James Strong's he was also a theologian and he lived in the 1800s as well uh, he was also the mayor of Flushing New York and he wrote this e- English lexicon uh, but what he did was he put numbers to it, a Strong's number. So he would start in the Hebrew, the first word he would be number one, and then he went down to, I think, 7,000, 8,000 words, and then in the Greek he did the same, start with the first Greek word and then have these words. And that made it possible for us to have numbers when we refer to certain Greek words. That's why you would get in the different Bibles and when the Greek word is mentioned there's a little number there which is the strong's number and then a lot of these lexicons connected their work or the work was connected to the strong's numbers uh now you might say what does that have to do with the bible it just helps you to understand what these things are about and when i talk about thyre or when i talk about strong's what this is now thyre would say uh the word gospel when we get to the word gospel that it simply means uh, a reward for good tidings or the effect of good news or simply just good tidings. It's glad tidings of the kingdom of God soon to be set up. This is what he said. I mean, after 5,000 different works were submitted and really studying over 30 years, he comes to the conclusion that the gospel doctrinally simply means it is the glad tidings of the kingdom of God soon to be set up and subsequently also of Jesus the Messiah, the founder of this kingdom. So what the gospel is, uh, now we would say the gospel according to the Greek, would be very good news. It has to be very good news. If gospel can never be bad news, gospel has to be good news. Like uh, the other day I uh, rode my motorbike and then it broke down next to the road. I had a petrol pipe burst. And uh, so I couldn't, I didn't know what was wrong, stood next to the road, the pipe burst inside the tank and there I was next to the road. And then somebody came and stopped and uh, when he stopped, he says, can I help you? I said, yeah, this has happened. He says, I've got a number of a guy that works on BMW motorbikes. I'll uh, give him a call. And he gave me the number. They gave him a call. When I called the guy, the guy said to me, I will come and get you next to the road. Now, that was gospel to me. That was good news, very good news. What was the good news? That I'm not going to be stuck next to the road, that I don't have to first call the insurance, Uh, lose my insurance bonus if I don't claim. Uh, I I don't have to wait there struggling, knowing who's going to get news. I know somebody's already on the way. He's picking me up. And that was good news to me. That was good news. But you know what? That good news was not the good news that Paul talked about. Because Paul's good news has got nothing to do with a motorbike. It's got nothing to do with me standing next to the road. Neither has got anything to do with how I or, or my normal life today in, uh, in this sense of, like I'm talking about a car that broke down and so forth. Paul, when Paul talked about the gospel, there was a certain understanding that there was in his mind about what the gospel was. The gospel 
according to the Jews of that time, and the gospel that Paul referred to was not the same thing. Now, very technical again, but let us get this into our minds. Do you know why I want you to understand this? Because if you're going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to start to see what Paul was saying. Before this... uh, 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 this message, I, we spoke, um, I was speaking to somebody visiting us, and we're talking about just reading the Bible. And sometimes I, and this is what I said, I feel sorry for people that must just go and take the Bible and just start to read without knowing the historic context, without understanding the gospel, and all those kind of things. We need to understand that whenever Paul wrote, he wrote to people that already understood the gospel. He wrote to people that he first preached to, And after he preached to them, and they then understood, from that understanding he wrote. That's why when he would use the word gospel as good news, he had a certain thing in his mind, as well as the people that he writes to. Most of his letters, I mean, written to people that has already heard. So now I can preach, and preachers can preach, and we can hear, and we can understand, so that the reading of the Bible will not be a half an hour session that you have once a week where you feel guilty and confused, where you don't understand what's written there. We want to understand. So I want to say to you, uh, stick to these messages, listen regularly, and as you flow, as these messages, this one upon the other one, you're going to find that your heart opens up to a great understanding. And as you open the scriptures, as I see on Facebook, some of the people that have been Uh, listening to these messages regularly, I can ask a difficult question, something like, what does it mean when the Bible says God does not impute our trespasses against us? Where it's not answered in the shallowness of simply thinking of of a law and transgression and an angry God that wants to punish and all those kind of things. But where it's actually answered uh, in the correct context. Uh, Beautiful to see. And those things are maybe things that I have not even discussed, but you can find the thought pattern coming to the mind. And that is really something that enriches our lives and strengthens us in this life. Okay, now, the word gospel, uh, according to the Jews, was the good news that there was a Messiah born which would save them from Roman oppression or Gentile oppression. And this Messiah would then be a very strong political leader which can then bring peace on earth where in no nation makes war with any other nation. That's what they believed. And then, uh, in about a thousand after Christ, there was a, 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 a Jew that gave uh, explanations of what was understood, and, and great explanations. I just forgot the name of the guy now. But he, uh, <clears throat> and he explained these things and what the Jews understood, or most of them understood. And what they believed was that the Messiah can be born Some believe he couldn't die, but a majority of them believe that this Messiah would be born and then he would die and that he would never be raised, but that the world or the the kingdom would then be, be taken over by his children and then his grandchildren and so forth. So their concept of a gospel was a Jewish gospel. It was a good news of a certain nation being favored and protected and then through this nation laws would be put into this world wherein it would be normal uh, political government and those kind of things wherein this world will then be 
a world of peace. So to them, uh, gospel, the true gospel, would be the ending of the Roman oppression. That would be gospel to the Jews. They did not live with a concept of salvation from sins, wherein sin is not imputed to us. They believed that sin was imputed to every man, and it was for man to cleanse himself through rituals from sins and to be set free. It was for you to leave your sin. But God didn't impute our trespasses to us, meaning he He says, it's not your problem to get rid of your sin. It is my problem to set you free from your sin. I hope you hear what I'm saying. It's already getting very radical, but we need to see this. Now, let us stick to the message here. It says, Paul says, I've come to declare the gospel. And when Paul talks about the gospel, he's not talking about the message wherein the Jews are now set free from the Romans or when one nation is not oppressed by another nation. He's actually talking about man being set free from God from the oppression of trying to find life by your own works. That's what he's talking about. That's one thing. Sin and death, where man is not oppressed by sin and death anymore. The gospel that Paul was preaching was actually the good news that God has conquered death and that we free from our works, don't have to make a living anymore, but that we can have a living by the life of God. That is what this is all about. So Paul comes, he says, My brethren, I come to declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Now, um, We'll go in our notes, you see the point there where it says, which I've preached unto you. Paul refers to, and he is stressing the point that the gospel he's declaring to them in this letter is the very same gospel that he preached to them earlier. He is stressing the point that it has not changed, nothing was added, and nothing was taken away. We need to understand, that is what he's trying to say here. And he also says, which you have received, meaning... He's talking to people and he's saying to them, the thing that I'm teaching to you is not something that you must now receive. You already received it when I preached to you long ago or when these other disciples preached to you. And I want you to stick to the original gospel. And I want you to stay at that original gospel. Now the reason why Paul wanted that is, once you do believe the original gospel, you come to the conclusion that this is very simplistic, It's very easy. It's actually something that God has promised, that God will bring forth. It's nothing that I must do. I must simply trust in Him, and it's all for Him to bring it forth in me, and I just rely upon Him. Now, that might sound, and I want to tell you, that can be boring sometimes. Because the human mind wants to do things for God all the time and make things work. And they don't want to wait. They don't want to rely on someone else to bring it forth. It's like with me. When the guy came and my motorbike broke down there, that guy is an absolute expert in what he does. Everybody says, this is the best guy. But I found in my nature, the kind of person that I am, I'm a kind of a being that I want to do it. 
I'll do it. I'll make it work. That's just my the natural person who I am. When that thing broke down, I had to put my hands in my pockets and say nothing, not to try and help the guy to fix it. And just rely upon him. And I can tell you now, if I had to go and tell him, do this, do that, whatever, he would have been very frustrated and irritated with me. The point I'm trying to make is, to see someone else do something, and fix something, and bring something forth, of which you are in desperate need, and it might seemingly be that he's taking his time, might be frustrating to you. And this is the thing of the gospel. And Paul comes... And he preached a message, which was the message that the good news, that God will save his people from their sins, that God will bring forth a brand new life, that it's not for you to try and observe the law to have a good life, neither is it for you to try and create your very own life. You know, in ministry, you can come, I can look at my own life. There were so many times when I tried to make the ministry work. But in the meantime, God said, I'm giving you a life. Where it was for me only to believe upon Him, read the Scriptures, enjoy what He puts in my heart, love the people that's just in front of me as He gives me love, and just live this simple life wherein God is the builder of the house wherein God is the giver of life and brings forth my life. I want to tell you, the quickest way is the way where you don't want to make it fast, but where your heart has been convinced that God has imputed sin unto him. In other words, the way I see impute, the imputation of sin is where he made sin his problem and didn't impute it to us. He didn't make it our problem to solve. He made it his problem to solve. And he did solve it in Christ. And it's for us to simply believe and see what he's done and to know that he is manifesting that kingdom in the earth and in our lives. And we are subjects to that. Simply trust him. And he brings it forth. Now, Paul comes and he's, he's saying, the gospel which I preach to you, is the very same one which you have already accepted. So is already appealing to them not to have a change of mind. Because seemingly some Sadducees came here and taught them, or some uh, Greek philosophy came in and said that there is no such a thing as a physical resurrection from the dead. Okay, <clears throat> let's go on. It says here, you've already received the gospel and that you are already standing in the gospel. This gospel they received, this is what it means. Paul is pointing out that they received this message as the truth and it's not something new to them. The word receive means to take unto one's own, to take with oneself, to join to oneself. And that I want you to underline there. It says... To join to oneself. To join. So he says, I've received the gospel, meaning this. How do you receive Jesus? Let's make it practical. How do you receive Jesus? You join yourself to Jesus, meaning that when Jesus died, you are saying, then I died. 
when Jesus was raised without sin, righteous before God, you say, well, I was raised with him. I'm holy. I'm righteous. Not by my works, but because I've joined myself to Jesus. This word comes from a root word, which is the word lambano, which means to grab a hold of with a purpose to make use of. So what is Paul saying here? He says, I preached a gospel to you, and I want to declare again the very thing I used to preach to you back then, and I'm declaring the very same thing. It is the thing which you have already received, and it is also the platform wherein man is relating to God, wherein you stand. That word received is saying to them, you have already joined yourself with Christ in your mind and in your belief. You've already said, because he died, I've died with him. Because he was raised, I'm raised with him, giving me the hope of bodily resurrection and a manifestation of holiness, not because I do good things, but because he manifests it in me. That is what Paul is saying there. We go and read Ephesians 3 verse 14 to 19. We will see there that he says that I want you to understand the dimensions of the love of God wherein you already stand. And I want to declare to you listening to my voice today that you are already standing in the love of God. It's now to have a revelation of this love of God and to have an understanding of the dimensions of this love of God. And I want to say to you that what I preached to you last year and the year before that is the very same message. It is the message of the kingdom of God, the good news that God is now bringing forth his kingdom in the earth. Now, I want to read verse 1 again, and then there's one thing that I want to point out. It says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which you have received and wherein you stand. When Paul talked about gospel, he was talking about the kingdom of God. Now, best explanation of kingdom is this way. If one country is taken over by another country, I've mentioned this last Sunday, if one country is taken over by another country, especially in the old kingdom systems where you would have uh, kings, you know, of France and of uh, England and so forth, and one king would conquer another king, you would find that the king, one kingdom has now come to another area. And that is the language that Paul understands when he talks about the gospel. When Paul talks gospel, he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom. The good news, not the good news that your motorbike is now going to be fixed. The good news that the kingdom of God has conquered the kingdom of the devil and that we as people on this earth is now under a brand new physical king whose name is Jesus, who will now exercise his rule in the earth, and what he rules against is whatsoever harms your life. And whatsoever wants to destroy you. So now, we were in a kingdom of darkness and death, but now the old man, talking about the dying man, has been 
healed and we are now a living man having the kingdom of life as that which we are standing under wherein it is the job of the king to see his kingdom manifest in us. In the old kingdom, it was our job. Sin was imputed to us. It was our problem to solve our sin problem. But in the new, uh, the, the sin, Jesus became sin. And it was put towards him to solve our problem. And what was now given unto us, and what was imputed unto us was the giving of this righteous act of God towards us, as to receive as a gift. Hallelujah. By simply trusting and believing in Him. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is, I mean, there's a lot to say about that, but let me just put this together. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul is actually having in his mind when he says that the gospel was preached to them, was that the message that God's kingdom of life is now starting to spread in this physical world, that that is the message which he is now declaring to them. And he's saying to them, it's not something new, something you've already believed in. It is something wherein you actually stand before God. I want to say this to you, to most Christians that listen to me, you find people are strangely, kind of afraid to touch the message of the resurrection. I know there are already hundreds, if not thousands of people following what I'm teaching. But there are also a lot that is ashamed, uh, kind of, or I wouldn't say ashamed, just not sure about this thing of bodily resurrection, physical kingdom, um, you know, bodily immortality. It's like, I won't easily put a like on it, although I might like it, on Facebook, in my heart, I don't want to be associated because I'm not so sure about it. I want to say to you, what I'm preaching to you is the very same message wherein you got saved, man. Wherein you believed upon Jesus. You believed that he died and that he was raised. You've already believed this. You already stand in this. I just want to declare to you what you're standing in. So, you can relax. This is very good news. The good news that it's not up to you to manifest life, but that you have now become a sharer in the life that God is freely giving you. Remember Psalm Isaiah 40 that I preached on last Sunday. It says, comfort my people. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Tell her that her war against sin and death is over. It's not for you to war against your sins in the flesh. It's not for you to war against death. Jesus conquered it and what you do is you believe that he manifests it and that's how holiness comes. Any other way is frustrating and unsatisfying. Okay, let us quickly see if we can in the last 10 minutes finish uh, verse 2 here. It says, by which you are saved. It says here, by this gospel are you saved. Now he comes and he puts a condition there. Now many of us don't want that condition, but that's what he says. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, I mean, next week we will talk about that because there's a lot 
to say about that because this addresses once saved, always saved. This addresses the whole thing about can people be lost or not and so forth, which is very theological. But um, let us just go to the first part of verse 2. It says, by which you are saved. It says the gospel, by the gospel. You are saved. What is the gospel? It's the good news. And in verse 3 it's going to be explained. We're going to get into that next week. But it's the good news that God's kingdom has now advanced to the physical earth and that the kingdom of the devil, which found its entrance through disobedient Adam, was conquered and whatsoever that kingdom could bring was conquered and that God is now subduing every part of this world. You remember the Bible says, if you go and read in Adam and Eve, it says to Adam that they must be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Now, the Bible says that Adam was a type and a shadow of the one to come, Jesus. It's Jesus' job to bring a peaceful earth. It's not our job. We simply submit to him as we submit to him. He has now subdued our hearts and he brings then life into us. When we simply just rest in him. That is what this is all about. Okay. It says, by which you are saved. So by the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and that the kingdom of God is on the earth, we are saved. There's a difference between solving your own problems and being saved from your problems. Your problem is imputed to you once you are the solution to your problem, but your problem is imputed to someone else once he must solve it and save you from it. Like the old example I always use about somebody drowning in the ocean. If you're drowning in the ocean, um, your drown- and your drowning is your problem, if somebody stands on the beach and says, well, he's got a big problem, and he must see what he's going to do, his problem is imputed to him. But if the lifesaver sees somebody drowning, and through his training and through him knowing why he's there, the moment he sees someone else, even through his own sin, drowning, even if he got drunk and now he fell off the boat and now he's drowning, the lifesaver looks at that person and immediately imputes that man's trespass unto himself, saying, his problem is now my problem and I will now have to save him. Now the Bible says by the resurrection and by the gospel, the good news, which we're going to discuss next week, we are saved. We are saved. So I want to tell you by believing the true gospel or by this gospel, you are saved. We are saved by the gospel. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by the gospel. The Spirit of God saves us. But then we believe what is said. And this is what he says here in the second part of the verse. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So what is true belief? True belief is to keep in memory what was preached. We many times think that faith is heart concentration, trying to convince God through our heart concentration to do something for us. 
You cannot convince God to do something for you. He has already been convinced about your beauty. He's already been convinced about your value. He's already been convinced about uh, who you are and saving you. You don't have to convince him. He is convinced and he has already acted 2,000 years ago by becoming your sin, becoming your death, having that trespass being made God's problem and the problem of the Savior, and then he has already defeated the devil and taken, and all authority is now given unto Jesus, and now he's actively busy in making everything new, manifesting who he is in everything, in you, uh, that in, especially in you that believe. Now it says here, remember the Bible says we are saved by grace, through faith. What is this grace? It is the influence of the resurrection. Next week we're going to talk in the week of that much more about that. So what he's saying here, and I want you to grab a hold of this with all your heart. We are saved by what he has done. It says, if you, remember what the Bible says in Romans 10, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So how do we believe in our heart? The belief in the heart is keeping in memory what Jesus has done. So what he's saying to these people is, you've believed in the gospel. Keep that same mindset that was from the beginning. Don't add laws to it. Don't add rules and regulations and disqualifications to it. Simply stick to the original message. Because if you now come and believe 20 other things, difficult things to do to get saved, you are actually robbing yourself from life. That is what he is saying. Let me take everything together. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the clearest passages on what Paul believed, on what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. What we see here is that Paul has got something in mind. And I want all of us to see the importance of this. And that is to believe the simple gospel and to keep believe the sim- and keep believing the simple gospel. How do you keep believing it? By keeping to the same doctrine. In Afrikaans we say leerstelling. That was from the beginning. Which was simply this. Jesus was raised from the dead. And that gives you the promise of eternal life by Him. By simply believing that and having then a heart touched by that to continue in that, you find that God manifests His kingdom in your life. And it's not you by your own works. It is Him by His doing. Hallelujah. So, what we've also said is that the gospel is it's not the good news of my motorbike's going to be fixed because that you don't need Jesus for. The mechanic can even give you that good news. What you need Jesus for is that he can give a holy, holiness unto you not by your works but by his works. That is what it's all about. I want you to understand that. I want you to grab that. It's come to preach that gospel. That gospel, and what I, what's also important to remember, the Jews... In the times of Jesus, their definition of gospel and what they saw the gospel would be 
And what the gospel was, was two different things. The Jews thought that the true gospel would be deliverance of Israel from the oppression of Gentile, uh, of, of Gentile oppression, and that they would then have, there would be peace on the earth for a thousand years or something like that, be, or a long time, there would be peace on earth through the Messiah, which a lot of Jews believed would physically die, not be raised, his children will take over, and so forth. There was many things they, they believed back then. So they were waiting for a Messiah, but the Messiah they waited for, when he came, was completely different and had a completely different purpose. The purpose was to take the kingdom of heaven, bring it on earth, so that man does not have to struggle anymore by his own works to be holy, but that the very life of God can be inside man. I would like to pray for you. You know, you're watching this and maybe you are going through a difficult time. You've got a difficult, you can say, Bertie, you're preaching this gospel. And how does that pertain to me wherein I find my husband is ill or my child is lost or I'm going through a difficult time or I'm struggling with sin and I don't know what to do. I want to say to you, and I'm going to pray with you today. All you have to do is to say, Lord, I see this gospel, the gospel that your kingdom has now come to the earth, and that Jesus Christ is the king and the ruler. And as what we would say, and this is the best way I can say it, you know, um, we had the promise in South Africa when the new South Africa came, and we always have that, those promises under new political leaders. And the promise is like we're going to eradicate poverty. We're going to eradicate poverty. And then we find a new president come or a new regime comes. And then they believe they've conquered poverty. But it's now, for their, it's now their job to see their victory, which was political, manifest and then actually stop it. So if we look, and that's why people have got all these riots and those kind of things, because they lay it at the government's door to stop the poverty because that's the promise they've made all the time. Now, it works the same way in the kingdom of God. God actually invited us and he laid our problem at his door. And he has now conquered our problem. He's conquered death in Christ. And now he is, through persuading our hearts, bringing forth the manifestation of his victory in our lives. That's how he's eradicating sin and death in the manifestation in our lives by his doing. So what are we to do? Lord, I see this and I welcome this and I'm open for this. And thank you, Father, that you keep me to the simplicity of this that I can understand that that's all you do. And you ask him to help you to have your heart rest in this truth. And that's the quickest way, my friend. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you that I can stretch forth my hands to people that are watching Thank you so much for your love and your grace towards us. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for the greatness of your love towards us. I pray for people that have got sickness in their bodies. I thank you that your kingdom manifests in them and that they are healed. I want to thank you, Father. I can pray for people that are struggling with poverty, poverty financially, poverty in understanding, poverty in uh, uh, richness of relationships. I thank you for your healing power, Holy Spirit, that comes and brings forth life in them. In Jesus' mighty name. I declare your peace 
is in this world and is manifesting by the doing of your spirit. Amen, amen. I want to thank you so much for watching and then I will speak to you again next week. God bless.